Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Hey guys, it's Morgan Zeggers. Welcome back to the show. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe. And of course, if you want to flag from my workshop, use code FREEDOM for free shipping at zeggersfreedomflags.shop. Me and my family make them and we love to do it for you. Listen, today we're going to talk about Fauci. We're going to talk about children's innocence because it's my favorite topic. Then we'll talk about this interesting exchange on Capitol Hill about when children can consent. And then, last but not least, an interesting other hearing from Capitol Hill that caught my attention was on white supremacy. So we're going to talk about those things today, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, before the first topic, MyPillow is excited to bring you their biggest bedding sale ever and just in time for Christmas for a limited time, you can get the Giza Dream bed sheets for as low as $29.98, a set of MyPillow cases for only $9.98, and rejuvenate your bed with MyPillow mattress topper for as low as $99.99. They have blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles, even blankets for your pets. Get duvets, quilts, down comforters, body pillows, bolster pillows, and so much more, all with the biggest discounts of the year happening now. They're extending the money-back guarantee for Christmas until March 1st, 2023, making them the perfect gift for your friends, your family, everyone you know. Go to MyPillow.com, use promo code MORGAN, or call 1-800-738-8374 for the big discounts on all the MyPillow bedding products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets for as low as $29.98. Get all your shopping done now while quantities last. Thanks, guys. All right, starting off, I thought this was just kind of funny and sad and ridiculous, but Fauci is back and he keeps talking about random stuff again having to do with COVID. And I just feel like we're all so out of that that conversation. We're so done with it that it's just a little weird to hear him even discussing it now. And I'm kind of concerned for his mental state if he thinks that this is a good idea to try and say this kind of stuff to us. First thing he says is, you guys were still in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> we are going into the third year of it. And we are still mm-hmm. in the middle of a pandemic with the numbers that you just showed. <laughs> uh, uh, no. And then this one is what I would think is interesting. Like, I listen, you could say whatever weird stuff you want to go onto the mainstream media and lab all the COVID lies you want. I think adults, they need to be strong enough and capable enough to hear this kind of propaganda and then think for themselves, bring critical thought and active thinking and evaluation to all of these situations. But, you know, if you're an adult and you can't do that, then I don't really have sympathy for you. I hate to be mean. I I, I don't mean to say that in some rude way, but like, come on, you gotta, you gotta step it up a little bit and you can't allow yourself to be a sheep. You can't allow yourself to be a victim. We need to take control of um, what's going on in our communities and in our country. That's something, right? But it's a whole other ball game when you're talking about raising children and communicating to children. And so this is why this just bothers me. Now, now I could go on a rant about what is good and bad about Santa Claus and the the consumerism around the holiday, the forgetting the reason for the season. But I just, you know what? At the end of the day. I just think it's inappropriate to bring children into this at all. Now, here's what he said. He says that he vaccinated Santa Claus on national television. Will Santa still be able to visit me in coronavirus this season? 
What if he can't go to anyone's house or near his reindeer? Well, I have to say I took care of that for you because I was worried that you'd all be upset. So what I did a little while ago, I took a trip up there to the North Pole. I went there and I vaccinated Santa Claus myself. I measured his level of immunity, and he is good to go. He can come down the chimney. He can leave the presents. He can leave, and you have nothing to worry about. Okay, so he's on CNN, and he tells or answers the question of a child about if he vaccinated Santa, and it just rubs me the wrong way. You could be like, Morgan, it's just a joke, but to me, it rubs me the wrong way that we are normalizing this kind of talk. We're normalizing the vaccine discussions, and we can't just let children. We can't just let children have this this fantasy about Santa. Instead, we have to bring the COVID propaganda into that too. And so in so many ways, I see this as concerning because children learn through imitation. They learn by example. They learn by seeing adults behave. And this all goes back to for years, we've been showing children that this is the apparently the proper role of government in our lives. If government says, even though the science says otherwise, if government says to wear this mask, you are the mask because it's the right thing to do. You don't question things. I even hear Christians say, well, the Bible tells us to not be against authority. Uh -uh -uh. It doesn't tell you to embrace tyranny and oppression in your life. Okay. What's the whole point of, what's the whole point of Moses and the amazing stories of escaping slavery, bringing people out of that kind of stuff? Just for us to say, well, Morgan, the Bible now says that we should be embracing authority and we shouldn't challenge that kind of stuff. I'm sorry, but there's a big difference here between respecting authority and having a sort of structure and discipline in society. I totally get that and and rule of law and respect for others, respect for yourself and maintaining society in a structured way. Totally. But there is a big difference between that and allowing tyranny, oppression and the hurting of other people at the hands of tyrannical people to continue. You know, what's the point of all of it if we can't stand up for our basic human rights? Now, back to it. Children are not learning anymore that there is a limitation in terms of what government's role is in our lives as Americans. Listen, our rights come from God. They don't come from the Constitution. But our founders very rarely and uniquely and and specially looked at our God-given rights and said, you know, there's governments throughout human history. There's formations of of, of regimes and and powerful forces out there that say, we don't care about your God-given rights. We don't care about respecting your human dignity, your human rights. We're going to oppress you. We're going to do whatever we want with you. And our founders and you know, there's now multiple examples of this, but it's really the principles of the West. They said, we're going to create a government that honors and respects and protects your God-given human rights. When you're put on this earth, you have rights handed to you and you don't need a government to give them to you, but you certainly need some sort of structure in society to protect you. That's why I'm not libertarian, because I believe in a strong, small, limited government. And of course, we've strayed from that so far. But unfortunately, our children they don't really comprehend the concept of choice versus force very well because they've seen how many Americans now just comply with force. They've seen how many of us, how many parents have been like, well, kids, you just got to do X, Y, Z because we don't want to stir up any trouble. Well, kids, the government says if we want to go in public, if we want to go eat at restaurants, if we want to do X, Y, Z, we have to wear these masks and we have to be vaccinated. 
Now, did the government allow these companies to get away with some bad stuff? Of course, but we should at least trust them in something like this. I believe we should be raising our kids to have a healthy distrust of the government and of authority because that's what human nature is all about. That's the whole point of human history, that humans are flawed. And so how can you create a society that provides a proper check and balance and separation of those powers in a way that limits them so that no one can really rise up to a level of power in a country, especially a level of power in America where they can cause hurt to us and be unstoppable? That's why I love our decentralized system of government. But if our children learn by doing, by watching us, by imitation, and they become of the environment and they they begin to repeat the environment that they were raised in, I'm highly concerned by it. Because I used to say like during COVID, we're either going to have complete sheep out of the children that are raised up in this time that completely believe that, you know, this is totally normal to have government in our lives so much telling us what to do. A good example is like in upstate New York um, or in New York state all over the place, Governor Cuomo, when he was in office before he left in a disgusting example of failed leadership on COVID and sexual harassment or assault or whatever it was, um, they decided to say, you know, restaurants have to shut down, bars have to shut down, but we're actually going to start to allow restaurants to stay open now. You can be open if you serve food. So to the bars, they said, you know, if you serve a meal, if you serve food to your customers, you can, you can open. We'll allow you to do that, right? They'll allow us. Thank you so much, government. We really appreciate it. You're so kind. Thank you for allowing us to do this. <laughs> so they said this, and then what do you know? Upstate New York restaurants and bars. They said, okay, I, I guess we'll, we'll start offering food for people. Uh, we'll offer chips and salsa. We'll offer chips. We'll, we'll, we'll do what, what it takes to stay open because you know what? We got to pay the bills. This is our dream business. This is our dream bar that we've always wanted to start and now the government's forcing our doors shut and not helping us at all. What are we going to do? And so they offered all these different snacks and uh, some people even were a little you know, sarcastic with it and they started offering things called like Cuomo chips. Cuomo chips. So for $5 or $2, whatever it was, you could order a small bowl of chips, small bowl of French fries, whatever it was, and it would count under the new law, the new regulation that the government was putting down on us. It would count as serving food, and then what do you know? The bar could be open and actually participate in the economy in a free way. Gee, what a concept. So they did that, and what do you know? The Cuomo regime in New York State said, are you mocking us? It's not funny. And they decided to say, you know what, maybe these chips that you guys are offering, we found out you're calling them Cuomo chips, maybe these chips and snacks you're offering to stay open, you sassy bars, you that are, are challenging and disrespecting us, we're going to start to tell you that that's, that doesn't count as a meal. That doesn't count as enough food to qualify to be open. And so you're going to have to shut back down again unless you start serving meals. That's the kind of interference in our lives and in business that you would never think would happen in America, right? I mean, defining what the serving of a, of a piece of food is, defining a meal versus defining a snack, that's what this came down to. So if you serve chicken fingers with french fries, you can stay open. But if you serve just french fries or just chicken fingers, you know, that's questionable and we might have to shut you down. Who? What do you ever, I've, I've said this before, but sometimes I just sit there and think like, what if George Washington was here right now watching something happen? I think about that and I think about Jesus and I think about 
people that I respect. And it's like, what would they think of my actions? And I also think, what would they think of other people's actions? Like, what if they were watching Joe Biden? What if they were watching um, somebody indoctrinating an American child in school, telling them, or like Martin Luther King, watching the CRT play out in our classrooms? Like, what would they truly think? And how baffled would they be? And so I think of of George Washington and like, or Sons of Liberty. Oh my gosh. Imagine the the founders specifically from Boston, because they were the rowdy ones. You know what I mean? Like the founders from Boston were, I mean, they were huge anti-federalists. They were concerned to even create a centralized government in America with the constitution. They were against the constitution, you guys, because they were like, ah, that looks like tyranny. And you know, look at us now. But they were the reason, Our, the anti-federalists, especially the guys from Boston, they were a huge part of why we have the Bill of Rights right now because the Constitution didn't even have the Bill of Rights when it was being proposed. And so you had a lot of our founders being like, I don't know, I don't know if I can really support this because this could potentially become another King George situation if we don't play our cards right. This doesn't this doesn't protect our our rights. This doesn't protect our freedoms enough. And so the negotiation was like, listen, if we will agree as anti-federalists to sign and support and ratify the Constitution if you agree after it's ratified for us to be able to add something called the Bill of Rights. And that's how that all happened. And so these guys were like intense in their concern. Now imagine them finding out that Governor Cuomo, just a couple hundred years later, because we could only make it a couple hundred years before we got into this predicament. A couple hundred years later, you're going to have the governor of New York State one of the main states that was concerned about ratifying the Constitution because they didn't want to create a, another monarchy or another situation of, of tyranny and oppression. Now he's defining what is considered a meal versus a snack and if a business can stay open or not. <sighs> what a mess. So our, our kids saw that and they had this role of government normalized in their minds. And I said, we're either going to have kids that totally don't see any problem with this because that's just the environment they were raised in, or we're going to have a bunch of completely anti-authority kids rising up in the next generations because as they become older, and this is, maybe it's super idealistic. I would love if this happened. As they become older and they start to put together, they start to look at the information. And this is all based on, you know, who controls the history. Whoever's in power controls the history, controls the information. So it might be hidden, but it's up to us to keep it alive and pass it down. That's why I believe in the value of books specifically, because listen, you're either going to burn my book or it's going to last for the next generation to read. You got it? Something on social media could be deleted and you never know about it. Your algorithm could be messed with. Your reach could be be removed. You could be President Trump and your entire Twitter account that shows in the lead up to January 6th, you were saying, stay peaceful, stay peaceful, stay peaceful. They could wipe that and, and erase the presence of your communication off the face of the earth. And it's like, whoa. That's why it's like, you know what? I want to put this in books. I want this to be saved. I want to lock those books away. And you have to physically burn this book to get it to take, be taken away. It's very wussy. It's, it takes a wimp to merely burn books metaphorically via social media banning or via removing things from the internet. It takes a whole new level to physically take information and burn it to, to disappear it. It's like when people get disappeared in, in communist regimes. I'm totally going off on a rant right now. But if we are able to preserve the information of what happened over the last few years and the young people that grew up in this grow up and they, they find out the science 
They evaluate what just happened. They look at the way politicians behaved, at all of the mothers that were forced to give birth alone in a hospital room with a mask on their face because no one else, no one else was allowed in the delivery room, to the family members who had to wave goodbye to their, their grandparents and parents who were in nursing homes locked inside because no one was allowed in there, and they were forced to stay inside those rooms in fluorescent lit nasty rooms in the last years of their life until they died alone for all the people that had their father or their parents get cancer or need life-saving treatment in a hospital and they're terrified about what's going to happen but nobody's allowed in for all the people that lost their jobs all the businesses that got shut down all the people that lost their livelihoods and ability to pay for their bills and put food on the table because they wouldn't get a vaccine And now let's say this, all the people that got the vaccine and then had complications. All the people, all the women that got pregnant got the vaccine because they were convinced it was safe. I'm not going to judge them. I feel horrible for them, but they lost their babies. And who knows what other complications we're going to face. Perhaps young people will... If if we pray on it and if we, we raise them right and if we do what we can now to preserve all of these happenings and we equip them with this information, perhaps they will be able to fix some things because they see how deeply wrong society has gone. And they have such a passionate and healthy distrust of authority because of what they have realized went down. Maybe that'll... Maybe that'll bring a positive wave, a revolution of thought in the country. And again, this is all, I feel like there's a passionate minority on one end, a passionate minority on the other end, and then a bunch of people in the middle where it's like, are they just going to stay clueless in the middle? And I don't mean clueless in a bad way, but like just completely oblivious to what's going on. How many could we get to our side? How many could we get to actually see and care and learn? Versus how many are going to keep telling everybody, oh, both sides suck. <laughs> kind of crazy. But bottom line, back to the Santa thing. I can't believe I just went on this whole rant based on Fauci saying he vaccinated Santa. The whole point is I am so passionate about how children learn by doing and learn by imitation and example that I think it's disturbing when you have young minds that are formed via watching us and seeing how we communicate and what we say, and they are seeing the normalization of this vaccine culture, and I am disgusted by it. Um, So it might be a simple little thing like, oh, we vaccinated Santa at the North Pole. I see that as, why are you saying that to my child? Why are you saying that to the kids of America? Okay, so speaking of kids, I'm sorry, everything just has to do with our young babies, okay? Speaking of young Americans, I wanted to show you a video because this is so precious and important, you guys. We have to protect innocence and children and their childhood, their ability to have an innocent childhood. We have to protect that. And we have to continue to protect the fact that young minds cannot wrap their head around adult decisions. Young minds cannot consent to certain things, and that has to do with life-changing events, especially having to do with changing their body, okay? If we reject this basic science, then we are lost as a society. I will die on this hill. That's why it's so important to be able to define things as basic as male versus female, man versus woman, 
to understand the biological differences. We talk about the slippery slope and stuff like that. I'm less concerned about talking about that from like a sexual perspective. I think the sexual revolution was a horrible impact on our country or has had a horrible impact on our country. But I am mostly concerned right now with the other slippery slope, which is if we cannot define basic scientific terms and if we cannot acknowledge the difference between man and woman, then how are we able to define other things and have common agreements on certain important things like protecting childhood innocence? And that goes with doing something like this, where now we're having to debate on Capitol Hill. This is a House of Representatives, United States Capitol Hill hearing where you're going to hear this woman in this video who runs a nonprofit, I think it's called Inside Out Youth Services or something, and it's an LGBTQ trans organization. And she says that their age of consent for a child to agree to physically changing their body is 12 years old. If you are listening to this show right now and you say, Morgan, I don't understand, then I am asking, like, literally, please comment on my post. Please message me and we will have a private conversation about this. I will try and get more information, but but this is a very fundamental concept, you guys, that children at 12 years old cannot, cannot make these kind of decisions because their brain is not even formed yet because they still rely on adults, trusting, loving, caring adults with experience, with the ability to bring discernment between separate issues, between different impacts long-term, all that kind of stuff. They rely on us. And if we give up our role in their lives as people that they can depend on, then then what is the point of any of this? Then what is this? What is the role of adult versus child? And that carries into not just sex change stuff, not just the LGBTQ stuff where it's like, well, a kid, if they don't feel comfortable in their body, they should be able to choose. This is more about, okay, so you're telling me a kid can make a, an age of consent decision at 12 years old. They can make a decision like that because you're saying they're an adult. What are you going to say about sexually engaging with that child then? What's the point? How did we go from a society where one of the best performing shows in the country was that show where Chris Hansen was like, hello, I'm here to sit down. Or what was it called? How to Catch a Predator. That was one of my favorite shows. Everybody loved that show. You're going after the bad guy. You know what I mean? Like you're getting the worst of the worst in society. We used to be pedophile hunters. And now on Capitol Hill, U.S. Capitol Hill, somebody is testifying to our representatives of the people of the United States that a child can consent and is mature enough and is adult enough to consent to such an important thing at 12 years old. What else are they going to say that kids are okay with agreeing to? That's why I care about this. All right, I'm yelling at the microphone. I'm going to stop, but here's a video. Protected. We have, uh, we are constantly filing reports of abuse and neglect because of parents. I, I understand not the cases. Of, of, it sounds are. like you're deflecting the question a little bit. Uh, I understand cases of abuse. There's laws to protect the abuse. I mean, schools actually are legally obligated to report cases of abuse. Mm-hmm. Same for churches and, and the like. Anyone who deals with young people, but uh, you know, do parents have a right? Should they be informed about what's going on? Do they have a right to know what's going on in their kids' lives? So I think, again, those of us who are protecting and supporting young people are there and trusted with the information of the things that they are dealing with. In terms of parents' rights to know at schools, I mean, here in Colorado, parents don't have the right. If a young person is questioning their gender or their sexuality there are laws in place that say that they have the right to process that with their trusted counselor you do and so forth uh, you do a significant amount of your work with kids even starting at age 13 
Yeah. Uh, what what would be the age of consent then in your in your mind? Uh, in our community, the age of consent to mental health therapy is 12 years old. So we have laws that enable young people to connect with trusted adults who can support them. That is just so important. It prevents suicide. And so we serve young people at 13 because we know they come to us. Mm. And you know what, you guys, I want to end on this. So much is happening on Capitol Hill right now uh, before Christmas because they're back in session. I want to end on this because it's Nancy Mace. She's a Republican. She's kind of accused of being a rhino sometimes. Listen, I'm not playing the usual political games. I just find this stuff interesting. So um, the Oversight Committee, which is one of the most important committees in the House of Representatives, it's a very powerful position to have when committee assignments are going out. A lot of people want to be put on the Oversight Committee. They just had a hearing on white supremacy. And Congresswoman Nancy Mace asked witnesses if extremist rhetoric on social media is a threat to democracy. Now, one of the people testifying, and it's a Democratic testifier because the Republicans can bring people, the Democrats can bring people to answer questions. They're supposed to be experts and stuff, um, but you can also call bureaucrats like Dr. Fauci to answer questions and be held accountable. But this one, Alejandro Carabello, is a trans activist that's brought by the Democrats to testify on white supremacy. And Nancy Mace has some very interesting questions for this person. And so I wanted to play this video because a lot's going on Capitol Hill. I don't like to talk about usual politics and stuff, but this is really interesting. And it's kind of the fundamentals of our society, I would say, because we're seeing people say that just us communicating our conservative values is hate speech or violence or whatever. It's a threat to the future of the country. And in reality, we're the ones saying we just want individual freedom. We want to protect what this constitution started this country out for a solid foundation. We want to protect everything that it stands for. We want to keep this country going. And as you guys are ripping it down, saying you want to replace the constitution, upend our economy, and embrace anti-Western values, you're the ones saying that we're the threats? You guys are using the FBI against us, but but we're the threats? Really? So I thought this was a good thing. I'll play this video and um at the end of it, I'll be done. So I hope you guys have a nice rest of the day, nice rest of the week. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe. I would appreciate it. And I hope you guys uh, tune in next time. Thank you. Is rhetoric on social media a problem and a threat to our democracy, Mr. Ward? Yes, absolutely. Mr. Siegel? Yes. Ms. Caraballo? Yes. Ms. Nomani? Yes. Ms. Tyler? Yes. Yes. Um, Another question I have, uh, do you believe that rhetoric targeting officials with violence for carrying out their constitutional duties um, is a threat to democracy, Mr. Ward? Mr. Siegel? Yes. 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 All right. Thank you very much. Only a few weeks after the attempted attack on a Supreme Court justice on June 25th, one of the witnesses, Alejandra Caraballo, tweeted out the following in response to a decision on abortion overturning Roe v. Wade. And I'll quote directly from the tweet. The six justices who overturned Roe should never know peace again. It is our civic duty to accost them every time they're in public. They are pariahs. Since women don't have their rights, these justices should never have a peaceful moment in public again. I know something about being accosted. The night of January 5th, I was physically accosted on the streets of D.C. in Navy Yard by a constituent of mine. I fervently blamed rhetoric rhetoric on social media, rhetoric at public events 
for being physically accosted. I carry a gun everywhere I go when I am in my district and I'm at home because I know personally that rhetoric has consequences. I've had my car keyed. I've had my house spray painted. I had someone trespass in my house as recently as August. I've been doxxed on social media about where I live. Um, and I've had to add to security everywhere I go, often because I can't afford it. I have to carry my own firearm wherever I go. And um, Alejandra Caraballo also recently tweeted on November 19th, not even a month ago, that the Supreme Court, vested with the judicial power of the United States by our Constitution, stated they are not a legitimate court issuing decisions. And also the Supreme Court is an organ of the far right. So my last question today of Ms. Caraballo, do you stand by these comments, this kind of rhetoric on social media, and do you believe it's a threat to democracy? Thank you, Representative, for the opportunity to clarify and provide context to my tweets. Um, I have a question, is it yes or no? Do you believe your rhetoric is a threat to democracy when you're calling to accost a branch of government, the Supreme Court? I don't believe that's a correct uh, characterization of my statements. Did you not tweet that, that you thought that the Supreme Court justices should be accosted? What I'm saying is that that is not an accurate characterization of my statements. On June 8th of this year, a man was arrested near Justice Brett Kavanaugh's home in Maryland. He told law enforcement officers he wanted to kill a Supreme Court justice. He was found... um, uh, with uh, a knife, with a pistol, two magazines, ammunition, pepper spray, zip ties, a hammer, crowbar, and duct tape. Ms. Carabayo, on page 12 and 13 of your written testimony, you painted concerned parents as having been infiltrated by white nationalists and far-right militia groups, which played a significant role in school board protests. This has not, this has not actually been my experience with concerned parents. In your testimony, you wrote that in Loudoun County, Virginia, unfounded rumors that spread in local parent groups on Facebook about an alleged trans student sexually assaulting a girl in a bathroom led to a firestorm of of several heated school board protests that descended into violence. But in fact, the perpetrator, it actually turned out, had committed two sexual assaults at two different Loudoun County schools in 2021 and was arrested on October 7th, 2021 by the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office. These weren't unfounded rumors, as you suggest. It actually turns out law enforcement had to act because a sexual assault occurred. So given this, I'm assuming that until now you were unaware of of what happened here and you're going to update your testimony for the committee. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. 